Welcome to the CyberLife Podcast, where we help you learn cybersecurity best practices, give you a weekly update on the latest cybersecurity news, and share valuable career advice. Hi everyone, it's Ken. In this episode, you're going to hear from Charles Payne, and we'll be talking about the CISO role or CISO role, depending on who you ask, in cybersecurity. Now, Charles is a CISO at Neptune Media. He's got over 25 years of IT and cybersecurity experience. He's also involved in the Horizon Summit, which is a cybersecurity conference that actually takes place in Hawaii, of all awesome places. And you're going to learn more information about the conference in this episode, and then also you'll learn how to sign up for the conference. They have a virtual option. You'll find all that information in the description of this episode. As with all of our guests, anything that Charles shares in this episode is his personal opinion, and it does not reflect the opinion of his employer or any other organization that he's affiliated with. So without further ado, let's jump right in and learn from Charles. Thanks for coming on today, Charles. So I just want to dive right in. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, CISO, so the CISO role. So there may be some audience members out there that that don't even know like what is CISO, or some people call it CISO. Uh, there's a variety of ways to pronounce it. So do you mind just talking about that particular role and why it's important to have at most organizations? Smaller companies may not have it. They may have a different type of role. But for, for the majority of kind of larger companies, just talk about what is a CISO and why it's important. Yeah, so a CISO role, Chief Information Security Officer, is important in terms of compliance. So basically, we handle all of the governance, risk, and compliance aspects of an organization. So typically, larger organizations have us in place to protect data. So essentially what we are in a nutshell is we're the keepers of data. That is our predominant role in, in an organization is to protect the data, secure the data, and make sure the data doesn't get leaked or breached. Let's talk a bit about your personal journey to, to getting into that role. So what when you reflect back on your journey, you know, across your career, what are some of the maybe some of the key experiences or the skills that you you feel were beneficial that helped you transition into the senior leadership role once you got to that point? Right, so my, my background is rather colorful. Um, I started in finance, and then I, I wound up in IT, and I went back to finance, and then it, it turns out that um, I learned how to communicate with people in terms of dollars and cents. So I'm, I'm very technical, but at the same token, I'm very business-oriented, and that's what made it easy for me to transition because I had a background in finance to begin with. I could translate things into dollars and cents, whereas I'm not trying to hit somebody over the head with technical jargon, you know, what, what's this, what's that, and, and acronyms. I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you, even though I might be in a CISO role or CTO role, I, I don't know half the acronyms because they seem to change. The only, the only one that I can clearly ever remember is one that uh, you, David, and uh, Alan Alfred would talk about for being like FUD, you know, the fear of certain teams out, the thing that Mike Johnson always would say on the podcasts. Aside from that, the other acronyms, I honestly don't remember them. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, and when I hear the when I hear them, I'm like, I wonder what's when they're talking about because there's so many things that overlap and duplicate. I'm like, I just get lost. Yeah, and we uh, we like to create new ones just so uh, marketers have something else to put in their blog post to sell us the, the shiny box of of magic that will solve all of our cybersecurity uh, challenges. That that was a uh, that was actually a, uh, something that they told me Gardner will invent something for if you didn't if you don't have it in your information or your, your stack today don't worry Gardner will invent some type of acronym so you you will buy something new. Yes. That's the way it works, man. Um so you know the the path to getting to that level it it is challenging for a lot of people. You know, it it's a journey. I think some people think they'll work for 2 years and then go 
into that role. And that's just not realistic. But for for individuals that are maybe at the point of experience in their careers where they're they're looking for that next step, they're looking to to move into a CTO, you know, CISO role, CIO, you know, any type of senior leadership role. What um, you know, like what what advice would you have for that individual that's looking to make that jump from maybe mid level management into a more senior role? So the biggest piece of advice I can give anybody that's looking to make that jump, one, know what you're asking for, because initially you you will understand what it's like. And you might you might say, I've got a great home life balance. Well, don't think that's going to be the case when you jump into that role. Just just saying it right now. The, the work-life balance is, is off. But um, aside from that, and that's initially, I mean, eventually it balances out. But initially, you, you might be working you know, five or seven days straight. You might be like, hey, well, I don't ever get a day off. Welcome to the world. Welcome to the world of cybersecurity. Um, so that, that's one thing that's very important to know. Don't. Don't focus on the money. Don't focus on what you think the perks are. The perks are there because some of the sacrifices we make is is a lot more than everybody else makes, and they just don't see it. So once you understand that and you understand what those goals and objectives are personally, the the biggest piece of advice that I can give anybody, even going into a CISO role or CTO or CIO role today, would be to understand how the business operates. What's What are the business goals? So this, this is actually going back to a conversation I had with Alan and somebody else about a BISO, BISO role. So where they're, where they're focused on business information security. They're a business information security officer. So if you if you can handle like a BISO role, then being able to do the CISO role, the chief information security officer, is a lot easier because now you understand how to communicate to the business. You understand what the business deliverables are. And you understand what the business actually needs to function and survive. Because in a in a CISO role, you focus on what's happening on the corporation, but you're not looking directly internally at the business. You're looking more of like an outward facing. Business. So that's that's where I would I would advise. So if you're in the middle management level roles, like a BSO or maybe a head of security or whatnot, it's important to understand who your internal stakeholders are as a BSO or what the BSO role might entail. But then also to be able to focus that and incorporate that when you're doing your CISO. Role. So that would be the biggest piece of advice I can give is to make sure that you understand all the different aspects of your business so you can communicate to all of your stakeholders effectively. And then that will make it an easy transition for you when it's time to take over that role because now you can already, you can already communicate to the board, to your, your peers, to your people that you're responsible for, your stakeholders, as well as everybody else. So the the role itself, it's it's pretty multidimensional. I mean, you've, you've got to have some kind of technical expertise. You don't necessarily need to be the world's greatest hacker or anything like that. You've got to have leadership skills. As you mentioned, you've got to be able to communicate in the language of the business, kind of have that strategic mindset. So when you're thinking about someone out there that's maybe looking to move into this role, what are what are some of like those key qualities that you think would make kind of that that perfect candidate. Like if you were interviewing someone to to replace your role, like what what in your mind would be some of those key qualities or competencies or experiences that that they would need to have to be successful in the role? Yeah, absolutely. So I've actually trained my replacements before at my past organizations. Actually, I work I work in an investment group, so we actually hire CISOs for our our companies that we have. So that is actually part of what I do, and I, what. Normally what I do is I look for someone who's somewhat technical, but I don't expect them to be a genius, but I want them to know what DFIR stands for, what what incident response is. Because at the end of the day, we're responsible for incidents in, in such an environment. I don't expect them necessarily to be able to be the, per, the ones hands-on keyboard to fix it. 
but I need them to be able to speak the same language as their team so they can understand what's going on in a, in a real-time scenario. So that that's always very critical for me. But more so than just being technical, and, and again, the technical aspect of it is just the base understandings of the, the terminologies and the stuff that we use in the field. So just the base understanding and the cursory definitions of what we're doing. But more so, I focus on people who are business savvy and who have the ability to motivate people. So when you say leadership, what you're really talking about is someone who has the ability to motivate one person to do something else that they may or may not want to do naturally. So that's how I define leadership, is being able to motivate others and to, to unite to a single form and to a single course of action. And that, that's what I look for in, in a leader. That's what I look forward in a, in a CISO, someone who's able to motivate others, who's able to drive change by motivating and basically being conversational. So I look for someone who's got a lot of skills. But in addition to everything that we just mentioned, I also look for someone to have some type of background in finance. And again, not financial services or anything, but to understand that everything has to be communicated, at least on our level, in terms of dollars and cents. Because if you say, hey, I want to buy this new shiny widget and it costs a million dollars, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, what does this $1 million widget do? And if you say it 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 uh, it does this FUD thing, you know, this fear, uncertainty, and doubt thing, I'm like, okay, cool. Translate for me this fear, uncertainty, and doubt. What's this vulnerability really do when it doesn't exist in our environment? Why do I need this? So I, I need you to explain to me what's what's the risk that you're trying to solve for? And why is it important in our environment in terms of dollars and cents? If we don't fix the risk, do I lose all of my money? Do I lose all of our company's money? Does it affect our employees? Does it affect our customers? Does it affect our other shareholders? How does it work? So I need someone to be able to quantify and clarify when they say that they want to buy something. We're, we're very liberal in what we spend money on. And I know the market's sitting here saying that we, you know, cybersecurity people aren't spending money. It's actually quite the opposite. We actually spend a lot of money. The, the flip side is we've just gotten a lot smarter. So we don't buy all those new shiny things anymore. So if you're if you're new and you're, you're trying to sell me this brand new widget, my first question is, why do I want this widget? And if you can't tell me why I want this widget, I'm not going to buy it. So it's not like we've stopped spending money. Everyone's saying that, oh, this, you know, we're not spending money in cybersecurity. It's going down. Markets so no. Markets perfectly great. Markets been steady for years. What's actually changing is we're getting smarter. We're realizing that everybody's lying to us. And again, I say everybody's a generalization, but not not I don't really literally mean everybody. But the problem being is that we're not buying the, the newest shiny thing anymore. We're, we've gotten smarter that. We're realizing that fear, uncertainty, and doubt, this FUD is causing us to make impulsive decisions that is harming us and our own reputations as a CISO or senior management. So that would be what I would what I would say of how someone to do or someone could actually replace my job. And again, just to summarize, focus on business acumen, focus on dollars and cents, why we want to buy something, why we want to do something, and then have some type of base technical skills to actually clarify why we're doing it. Everything goes hand in hand, but that's essentially how I would define a leader and how I would define how I define my replacement. So, what strategies do, do you actually employ to help stay ahead of like emerging risk out there? In order to stay ahead of emerging risks, there, you know, there's always the the straight answer, and there's always the the, the one that's a little bit skewed. Um, the straight answer is I always do my due diligence and my research. I always try to stay current of, as to what the threats are. But you know, the the truth of the matter is. I mean, that's the compliance answer, right? So the, the, the truth of the matter is I talk to peers. I talk to my friends. I talk to people who are in a similar industry that I am and even ones that aren't. And we, and we talk about what's going on in our in our, in our our environments and our situations and what we're seeing. And we have those candid conversations typically in person. 
um, about what's what we really see, what we what we really see happening. It's like it's great to have like an ISAC or you know InfraGuard and stuff like that, but I know that we're late giving them the data. They're late publishing it, and it's it's usually one of these cyclical cycles where by the time that I get the IOCs and the TTPs and stuff, it's already thirty days too late. And that's you know no harm no no wrong doing of their own. It's because we delay it, they delay it, and then it just gets really delayed. And sometimes they publish right away, but again, we still delay what we what we syndicate. So I think that the uh, the best way that we stay on top of emerging threats internally is by communicating with our peers. The communications and the outreach that we have amongst ourselves is, is pivotal in what we do, especially in what I do. So when we talk about like third-party risk, especially supply chain, how, how do you approach that, like you know, assessing for that risk and also kind of managing that risk that might be happening? Yes, so supply chain risk is always is always a great one. So whenever, whenever we do like an M&A or we do some type of acquisition or something, it's always where we we have to actually take some of the other tools apart and we have to disassemble them and look at what they're really doing. So it's going back to that whole SBOM requirement where we, we go back and we look at what's really in our infrastructure. And that gets a little bit painstaking and that's not really a great answer, but it's still what we have to do. Because at the end of the day, we can't protect what we don't see, what we don't know is there. So if we don't take it apart, we don't do our own due diligence. This is where I have to go back to say, this is where, you know, again, you don't have to be technical, but you have to have someone in your staff who is. And to, to actually do this whole, you know, breakdown, disassembly and, and actually analysis of, of what's there. And that, that's, um, it just goes back to solar winds. And we, we don't want to be the next solar winds. We don't want to be the, the next headline on the news. And that's where we just have to do a due diligence. And it's painful. It, it, there's no, there's, there's no around it. And I, I know someone's going to watch the video and say, well, we got the solution for that. Uh, and my, my whole response is going to be prove it. I got probably 50 companies I can show you to you. Can you show me how to do that? Pain, not that that's perfectly simple. Click of a button, but 50, 50 companies across the board. Can you do it in five minutes? The answer is going to be no. Because how do you set it up in five minutes across all companies? You, you can't. So they, there's a lot of people I'm sure will watch this video and be like, oh yeah, we can do that. No, 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 you really can't. But it's great to see that you guys want to try. But there's always that that factor. Again, there's uh, some things are in an enclave, which is you know a securely encrypted environment, securely protected, and it's not something where it's easily accessible. So there's always fun things. There's always little gotchas. There's always little um, how do you say? There's there's always there's always some type of condition that has to be met prior to being able to get into something. Even if we're onboarding a new vendor, we still have to audit that vendor for third-party risk. So it's like, yeah, we can do that. Like, yeah, but for us to onboard you, yeah, you might be able to click the button and solve the problem after we've onboarded you and given you access. But in order for you to get that access and get onboarded, I promise you it's going to take a lot, a lot more than just that five minutes. And that's sometimes where they they, they might not see that. It's, it's always fun. So that that's how I stay. That's how I stay ahead of emerging threats. We just we have a we have a SOC team. We have we have our analysts running 24 seven. We have a follow us on models. We've got people in different parts of the world that just, that are always constantly working on it. So you talked earlier about dollars and cents, you know, and essentially you would want to align cybersecurity strategies with what the business understands, the dollars and cents. So how do you, how do you go into an organization and kind of build, and, and even for the ones you, you train, how do you teach them to, to really build up a culture of security without, on the flip side, without blocking the innovation and growth, because I'm assuming several of these you're investing in are at least startup 
stage and and probably looking for a seed money or something. So how, how do you kind of approach, hey, I'm training you a new person. Here's how you can build a, a culture of security without getting in the way of what we actually need to accomplish in the business. Right. That's always a, that's always a tough question. You know, as Mike Johnson would say, you don't want to be the division of no or the department of no. So that, that's, that in and of itself is a, is a tricky question, but the, the short answer is you have to balance what the goals and objectives are, and you have to move at the speed of the business. So it's like, you can't, you can't focus every response with no. So you have to say, as Mike Johnson would say, it's like, yes, but. So it's like, I, I've, I've actually listened to that for several years. I think he said that probably three, four, five, or maybe five years ago. But it's um it's one of those things where you have to focus on what the business goals and objectives are and then what risks are, are the business going to take to actually accomplish those. So it's a risk-based question. So in, in our department, for example, you know, I'll, I'll look at what we're trying to do. And again, that going back to the previous question, going back to the vendor that says, yeah, we can solve all of your, you know, S pump requirements by in five minutes by just pushing the button. And like, you know, it might come to a point in time where we're in a compliance portion or we're doing some type of manual audit, where maybe we say we we overlook a control or we, we bypass a control just to put that in place to, to test it. But at the same time, if we did do that, then we're gonna have to have another team auditing the control while the control is auditing the other infrastructure. So then we're going to have to actually duplicate and layer all of our work just to make sure that we we can separate that risk. And it, it's we do do that. I'm not saying we don't. Um, it happens. So that that would be the answer to both of your questions then. Of how how do we actually move at the speed of business and how do we actually do that would be to make sure we have something that overlaps one control over another. So there's trade offs. So it's like okay, fine. If we have to do this and there has to be this solution here, then the answer is like yes, but then now I've got to have another department over top of them. And make sure it's layered like a cake. So if there is any breach or any gaps, it's sealed and it stays it stays contained. And that's where things get a little bit tricky because you'll always have management or you know the board trying to drive towards this one direction, and you've got to solve for it. And you can't tell them no because if you're saying no, then you're not a good you're not working with the business. And then you're now you're being counterproductive to the business because the business is trying to move at this speed because this is what their trajectory is for making money. So if you try to slow that down, you harm the business, and you can't harm the business because you're not being effective if you're if you're losing money for the company so that that's a very tricky question and in short it's you got to move the speed of business but you've got to you've got to then put controls in place to mitigate the the risk that you just you just introduced yourself so how do you actually continue your professional development like are you getting more college degrees certs are you just talking to peers like you mentioned like what what do you do to kind of stay current on everything that might be going on in the world that may have an impact or potential impact on either your organization or the ones that you invest in? Uh, what actually keeps me going personally is, I mean, I, I teach um, as a professor at, at a school, but in addition to that though, I find that I do a lot of volunteer work and I find that by mentoring and volunteering, I get some very interesting questions and I find that that actually keeps me on toes, all my toes better than just you know going to, going to school myself or actually um, trying to get another cert. I mean, I have plenty of certifications. I've got a, a wall full, but um, at the end of the day, I can't find any substitute for for real hands-on experience. I know that, Ken, you, you, you have a school, I believe, and you you, you have a lot of certificates. I, I've actually watched and followed your, your posts. And I know you talk about CEH a lot, because I see that come up on my stream often for, for LinkedIn. And a lot of those certificates are great. Please don't get me wrong. 
they give you the foundations that you need to actually gain the experience because you need to have that fundamentals. Again, going back to what we were talking about for being a CISO, you have to understand the technical acumen in order to do the job and manage your team. If you don't know what your team's talking to you about, all you hear is, you know, a different language. You're, you're never going to be able to communicate effectively either with your team or with your management board. So a, a certificate's great in, in terms of getting those foundations. It gives you the ability or, you know, college degree, but it gives you the, it gives you the foundations that you need to communicate. Will it get you the, the job per se? No, it, they won't all get you the job, but they will give you the foundational knowledge to gain the experience to get those jobs. So they still have a very pivotal role in what we do in society. Is that I think the end all be all? No, but I do believe that they are a great foundation. You have to have a foundation to stand on. Even when you build a house, you don't build a house on just dirt. You build the, you, you pour a foundation, you build something solid and you build your house on top and think of a certificate more like the foundation for your house. It's that concrete, it's that stable structure that you can then use your own real life experiences to build on. I agree hundred percent. I think as an, as a generalization of our industry, I think we put too much emphasis on certifications of saying, you've got to have, you know, these 400 certs to get this job. And I think that's, I think what you said, Charles nailed it. It's, it's foundation of knowledge. It's like way back in the day before all these certs came out, we would read a book or we would talk to someone that had experience in that particular thing. And we'd get that fundamental knowledge and we'd go put it on the keyboard and start typing away and figuring stuff out and clicking things and, and whatnot or setting up that switch or router. So I, I think, um, and I'll give a personal example. My very first IT job, I read a book about networking, went to the interview, passed the interview because I talked enough verbiage and enough buzzwords. And then the real stuff came where I actually learned hands-on, had to do a hands-on. And, and the stuff I read, that was nice. But when it came to applying it, I'm like, oh, okay, now this makes sense and this and that, et cetera. So uh, 100% agree with you, Charles, on that. I think a certification or even a college degree, it's just a baseline. It's just like if I bought a bunch of books and read them, I'm just getting that knowledge. Now I have to go apply it. Um, we talked earlier about you came from a financial background. I could go read all the finance books in the world. If I don't at the end of the day go, like, let's say there's a book on budgeting. If I don't actually like apply it to my personal finances, I'm not going to have success with it because it's just knowledge in my head until I actually apply it. So great point there. Um, I want to pivot now. You know, we've talked a lot about the the role that you're you're in and, and kind of advice around that. You're involved in a conference, which um, unfortunately this year, while we're filming this, I'm not able to attend it this year. Um, hopefully Charles will invite me again next year to the beautiful location in Hawaii. Um, but do you mind just talking about the Horizon Summit that's coming up here? Uh, I think when people watch this, it's probably just a few weeks out from when the actual conference uh, dates are. Do you mind just talking about the, the Horizon Summit, um, giving some some insight into what it's about, um, what, what kinds of things people are going to expect there, who's the target audience to actually attend it, and, um, and maybe also mention if there's a virtual option besides people flying to Hawaii, which realistically could be pretty expensive for most people. So is there a virtual op option for the conference as well? Yes, there, we actually do have a, a hybrid approach. So we actually are recording it live or live streaming it. So you will be able to watch it virtually if you're unable to attend in person. Um, so, so far we actually we actually catered to the global Fortune 500 folks. So it's a, it's a global summit. We, we span, I think, 15 different countries with the, biggest, the 15 biggest com uh, companies in those countries. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing seeing some of the, the companies and countries that are that are coming. It's like I would have never heard I've never heard of some of these brands before. 
but it turns out that they might they're in the top like 100 biggest companies in the world and i'm like but i've never heard of this brand before it's like even even my friend is, is uh is a lawyer at one of the, the groups that are coming and apparently they're the, they're the biggest distributor for for mcdonald's and coca-cola i'm like never heard of these companies before but they're they're there and they're huge you just You just think that you know your your Pepsi and your Coke and your your energy drinks and everything just arrive to to the store by magic, but it's the distribution companies and the other companies that are behind the scenes that actually do all the job, do all the work. So it's amazing. So our our cybersecurity conference is talking with the Global Fortune 500 folks uh, about some issues that that matter. Again, going back to what we were talking about previously about what we're doing and how we're doing it, and we're having those kind of conversations because we're in person. We're not really. restricted what we can and can't talk about per se in person so we'll, we'll get the opportunity to have those kind of conversations and there's a lot of great speakers that are welcome to check out the website and look at it horizonsummit.org or the horizonsummit.com so there, there are a lot of great opportunities so there are there are also virtual passes available so i think they're able to get those from you uh, as well if they want to register virtually i think all the students that are trying to get into cybersecurity should probably watch it because you're going to hear from some of the, the biggest and the best companies in the world talking to you about their, their real life solutions and their real, their real life scenarios and problems i know that's what i'm going for um i'm going to actually learn from from my peers because i i don't run a multi-trillion dollar company um i i but i want to learn how they do it and that's what i'm that's what i'm going for Any final advice? Um, and this is kind of going to be a broad question. So, any kind of any final advice for businesses out there that are looking to maybe build out a security program, or for people looking to get into a similar role like you, and or sort of that that more entry level audience you mentioned that you know they're trying to get into their first cybersecurity job. So, any very broad question you can pick, whatever route or you can pick, totally you know one eighty route if you want to. But any final advice that you would have for anyone out there? Yes. So the, the best advice I can give anybody is to follow their passion. Enjoy, enjoy what they do because when you enjoy what you do, it's not, it's not as much work as you might think. I get, I, I love what I do. I, I complain about it a little bit here and there, but uh, as a CISO, I still put in 80 hours a week, but you know, th there's no short days. There's no long days. Uh, and I'll also preface that with at, at the end of the day, the only person who's going to realize that you worked long, hard, long hours and long days, long nights are your children. So it's important to also maintain a family balance in a, in a fair balance. So again, what I do in financial services is a little bit different than, than most industries. So ours is a little bit more challenging. Everybody tries to find ways to get into money, but I, ideally you have to follow what your, what your goals and objectives are, follow the path that makes most, the most sense to you. And if you're trying to get into cybersecurity, uh, it's a really difficult market. I know everybody keeps talking about there's a lot of jobs And I'll tell you from a financial perspective, I'll tell you guys the secret. Um, there, there might be requisitions for jobs, but it doesn't mean there's actually any money to pay you behind those requisitions because the requisition is posted by one department. The, the department that generates a budget to pay the requisition is not the same. And I know I got, I've got a phone call from a famous you know, aerospace company that I live next to, and they've called me literally over 50 times, the recruiting department. I'm like, I already know you guys don't have any money to pay this. You have, you have four requisitions. Or three, three requisitions, but you have no budget. You have no budget to pay it, and it was only put on their 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 sheets for P and L purposes, because it shows when they when they're doing the reporting for the stocks in their industry, that they're trying to expand, they're trying to hire, they're trying to do their due diligence, but in re, but in turn, it's it's just kind of a shell because there's no money to pay it. There's no funding behind the jobs. So, 
please don't believe everything you see that the industry is hiring. It's going crazy. The jobs are there for show. There's not all the jobs have money behind it. So that's important to realize, important to know. That's a, that's a industry lesson to learn because uh, you'll follow sometimes the wrong path thinking that you're chasing, you know, opportunity when in reality you're chasing, you know, false promises and, and lack of better term, snake oil. So I think that's the, the best thing I can say to and tell people if they're trying to break into the opportunity, try looking, getting an industry or, or just focusing on cybersecurity in general. Is there, so just tagging on to that question, is there a way for, let's say I'm a kid fresh out of college or whatever, or I'm a career changer. Is there a way for me to kind of, to look at a job posting and, and see some maybe hints or, or look at a, let's say it's a public company, look at their financials and kind of get a, a idea of what I can publicly get to determine like, well, maybe these are kind of phantom postings or is there no way for, for someone to kind of determine that just based on the external view? From the external view, it's going to be really hard to tell. Um, you can do it by looking at some of their reports that they submit to the SEC and stuff, but it's going to be difficult unless you're really training finance to see it. Um, in fact, I, I didn't know about this aerospace one until they called me 50 times. And then I, I just got to the point where I call I called over to their hiring manager. I called over to the, I called their hiring manager. The hiring manager is like, all I know is that, yes, we're hiring for these positions. Then I actually found out who was in charge of those requisitions and who that they actually named as being in charge. And then I just called them like, hey, look, you guys doing that? He's like, yeah, we're we're in the process of trying to get any, trying to get a budget for it. We don't have a budget for it, but yes, we have the requisitions. We're just trying to see what's 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 on the market, what's available. But we don't have a budget for it yet. But we should have a budget eventually. This was going back six months. I'm still getting calls. I'm like, I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. And um, I'm like, okay, so basically, if you're if you're looking at a job and you're getting a lot of calls or a lot of interest, my my most knee jerk response is to always call the company or call the person responsible for that requisition and then try to talk with them. If you don't get a response back from them, or if they don't tell you that it's it's real per se or that they're really legitimately hiring, then I I tend to think think of those as fake. And I'm not saying that you should go spam every hiring manager in the world, but what I am saying is that if if a hiring manager is you know hiring for a position, say chief engineer or you know tech 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 levels tech specialist you know, XYZ company, you'll shoot, you should be able to find out who's responsible for that, that requisition, who, who you'd be working for, who your manager, or your boss should be, and you should be able to contact or email them because most likely they're not going to be the ones that are getting the spam. It's most people direct their spam to HR. They don't direct it to the people who are actually the staff members that are, that you're legitimately going to work for. So by focusing on the person that you're going to be working for, they're going to be able to give you the inside track of like, yes, I know HR put this out there, but we don't have any funding for it on my end over here. So my best advice there would be to focus on the people who are actually you would actually be working for, to reach out, call, or email them, and then try to ask them for the inside track. That'd be the fastest way, the easiest way to actually avoid a lot of heartbreak and frustration. Thanks for listening to the show. If you're looking to secure your business better or build up your cybersecurity career, then check us out over at cyberlife.tv. That's C Y B E R. L-I-F-E dot T-V.